Hello, and welcome to Space Battles, a transformative real-play podcast that reimagines the latest trilogy of a popular space combat franchise. If you're joining us for the first time, stop here and start with the first part of A Shattered Galaxy. Otherwise, previously, you will have heard... What happened last time? We ended up on the planet with my baby brother and my uncle Luke. Yeah, uh, Synect Ray, the secret planet that the Jedi Temple is hidden on. I went home. Yeah. Is essentially what happened. Um, before that, we uh, were in the mine still mm-hmm. and um, found some loot. Yeah. Various looting items. Sure did. As mm-hmm. We also, or Kiyama did at least, uh, polluted the pool so that way they're not able to use it for a while. Yeah, it should disrupt um, the flow of uh, cortosis. Yep. And then we left. We got the people off the island, which they were brainwashed and or mind controlled. Maybe a right. bit of both because they don't remember anything. And then went back. Um, I think then we, that's when we left and went to Senect Ray. That's right. Yeah. We also when we got there, we told Luke everything that was going on. Uh, he was like, Veleman is not the one who mind-controlled the Rancor. Right. Which is a terrifying implication um, that it was his master uh, who could possibly be pe- uh, Plagueis? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Question mark, um, question mark. And, uh, which is, again, also really unsettling because we didn't think he was on the planet. And if he's not on the planet and can control a Rancor, that's even more terrifying. Um... I think it's good, actually. Good for me. Narrative, anyway. narrative tension is the apt word. Um, what else? Uh, G is getting very paranoid because uh, they no longer trust pretty much anyone. Oh yeah, yeah no, he uh, he's absolutely. back because he went back to neutral. Yeah, yeah, but G still very much so does not trust anyone. Um, I. Anytime there is a thing that can control a Rancor, there's a thing that can control anyone. So from a metagame standpoint, Kevin is pretty confident that none of you are secretly working with Brian and Evil. But G, from an in-game standpoint, highly distrustful. Oh, Kevin is like... Anyone can just be the uh, vessel of Plagueis. Yeah, Kiyama's, like, not having a great time with the way people were describing their mind control process. She's not, she's doing some compartmentalizing of her own. She's not being like Marco in this sense. So, um. An Animorphs reference. (laughs) An Animorphs reference for all of you guys out there. Um, and. And so now you've returned. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're, uh, now you're in the temple on, uh, Cynic this is um, this is very much a I think a player driven episode at least to start. Um, so I guess I'll just ask you guys. Uh, here you are in this beautiful uh, sort of continuous lagoon and shallow waterfall planet. Um, lots of past NPCs or friends or future friends are here. What would you like to do? So I did say at the end of the last game that Kiyama during like the flights and stuff with Ronus and then also with some of this downtime would want to try and work on learning how to do that dream vision thing 
Yeah. I don't absolutely. know if it's possible, but that's one thing. Uh, so from a mechanical standpoint, that's like a capstone ability for your sense force tree. Okay. Um, so that's good to know. So what you can do to sort of represent that studying with um, both Ronus and um, holocrons and uh, things like that over the next couple of days is uh, you can spend some of your ding dang XP on the sense power. Good to know. I will work on that. I'll practice. Mm-hmm. Practice feeling people's feelings and so on. Yeah, it's not going great considering how she's personally feeling at this moment in time. Well, She's if you too if you can, on that, but if you can feel other people's feelings, then you can ignore your own. It's very exciting. <laughs> that's uh, that's why we engage with fiction, right? Not to call out everybody in the world listening right now. Listen, why would you gotta do that, Brian? Yeah. Yeah, I still think it's something she's she will practice working on, but I feel like right now, especially the reason why she hasn't moved, like worked on sensing a whole lot and bringing that skill back, is because of the difficulty with feelings. And it is easier when sensing other people's emotions, but to get better at it, you kind of have to work at it and be better at sensing emotions. And she's like, I don't. I want to hit something instead. I don't want to do this right now. So woman after my own heart. That's a great, it's a great coping mechanism. Uh, so you are at least going to be spending some of your time in uh, study and meditation. Uh, what do other people want to do while they are here? Um, I think part of G's time is going to be somewhat similar, um, but rather than talking about like uh, rather than any sort of dream sense, uh, they're going to be way more focused on how do I make it so I'm not mind controlled. Got it. That's terrifying. There was also so. some um, information in uh, like the actual writings and the data files that they had recovered that oh, uh, yeah. they were yeah. interested in looking into as well. Yeah, um, definitely pouring over uh, Tenebris's work, um, ideally involving whoever is the like smartest person on the in the jedi temple which i guess is luke yeah probably um i mean he's definitely got the highest lore skill um but there's also several other uh sage-like people uh that you have interacted with um bon uh is uh, a duros jedi who you've probably spent some time with in the past uh he's uh, very knowledgeable and um, very powerful in like a sagely way, similar to you. Uh, I'll so definitely, that... <clears throat> definitely hit up on then. Okay. Um, um, and then this is also just more of like a: Are there any? Uh, are there any youths that seem maybe not super sold on the Jedi way, but are like not bad necessarily? Are you going to corrupt some innocents? I'm not like, see, that's the thing is when you pitch it as corrupt and innocent, it sounds bad. How are you but. doing, fellow kids? Would you like to join <laughs> my cult? Yeah, I just, I want to, I want to know if there's anyone who's like, this cult's cool. What other cults are out there? I want to plant some seeds. At the gotcha. Very you want to, you want to use this as a recruiting ground because clearly they're already susceptible to cult logic. You just want them to join your cult instead. And it's like a good weeder process. Like this, the Jedi are the organic chem of the Baron Doe. It's not necessarily super related to how they work, but it's a good process to like figure out who can do the 
the mental work required in the end. Got it. Okay. <laughs> um, so then I think what'll have to happen is you'll need VC 20s assistance with translating Tenebris's work. Uh, since no one here is a bin or excuse me, a BIM and no one, no one else speaks it. So you'll have to rely on, uh, the Senator's protocol, droid translation module, etc. And I'm sorry, BIM. Yeah. BIM. Wow. Uh... What is that's, it? Bin? That is the species that uh, Tenebris was in life. Ah, I wrote down Bith, and I am just wrong. Then maybe I'm just wrong, and we're going to have to cut this. Let's say, I think it is Bith. I think no, it is it, Bith. It's 100% Bith, and I said the wrong thing. What is a Bim? What is a Bim? Hold on. I'm going to. That's why I asked. Did we create a new <laughs> Star Wars species? It's the larval form of a bimbo. Uh, it's a bimbo. Did we. Do we get to create now our own material for the Oh Star Wars? no. No, the BIM is a different uh a different space battles uh a different space battle species uh that was also in the uh Cantina bar. Mm. So I'm not wrong per se. I'm I'm but wrong but right. I'm but I'm not right. I'm definitely not right. <laughs> Got it. Um anyway uh the gm's never wrong everybody shut up uh so translating bith is going to be a task for vc20 so senator if you could give me an education role please if you want to translate tenebrous text if you don't uh now well, i'm happy time to, to say so okay. i'm happy to um i think it will give g some peace of mind okay great uh, so one success and one threat. Uh, so I'm going to charge you some strain. Uh, this is a stressful uh, thing to read. It does not delineate the process, but the writings and texts uh, make it uh, make it very clear that the mind control is almost a secondary function. The primary function of the ability is to extend life. Uh, it's more about body snatching than anything else. Um, so within the text, uh, Tenebris talks about sort of a recognition that um, those who are deeply mired in the dark side on death can't join with the living force. They've sort of renounced certain elements of that tradition and the parts of the force that they've embraced keep them from living on in that way. Essentially, if you're Sith, you don't get to be a force ghost. And he is fine with that, um, but he is very interest interested, as is his apprentice at the time of the writing, in defeating death in some way. And the a lot of the data tapes are, you know, marked. And from that, you kind of gather that they're out of order. You know, you have volumes 1, 3, 8, 9, and 11 out of 17 of his writings. But what is contained within is essentially a description of different paths that they've tried to go down for life extension, you know learning heal very intensely, learning protect very intensely. And um, what it boils down to is that he realizes that the soul is um, 
is transferable. There's a way to seize and live on in a body. And that's kind of where the writing on it ends. But there is an appendum that, you know, the, you know, sort of almost like a theoretical musing that perhaps, you know, more than one body can be infused with the wielder's life at the same time. But it also notes that that would degrade the individual, that that would lead to a reduction in overall efficacy. And uh, now, thanks to the Senator's efforts, that's all uh, available in Basic and Orabesh in a much more stable format than data tapes and longhand writing. And in any of this, did it reference any way that you could not do this? Like, I assume they're Sith, I assume they tried it on e- this sort of thing on each other, maybe? It doesn't reference the testing process or even how it's done. That uh, looks like it is in the missing or destroyed volumes. But there's references to what's referred to whatever it is that they do to transfer their soul and mind to a different body. Well, to everyone, I'm definitely going to verbalize it very heavily and make sure everyone is aware that we're dealing with full-on body snatchers. Or so, animorphs references. <laughs> so does yeah. that? So Kiamon hearing this, she'll. So does that mean when you say like degrade, the like if they spread themselves out over more than one, per, you know, being? I guess. I guess I'm wondering, did Tenebris die from having all of the people that he was controlling m- blow themselves up? Uh, make me a lore roll, Kiama. Uh, G, you can also make this lore roll. And G is also just going to say, I don't don't know that we truly know that Tenebris is dead. Oh, look at that lore roll! Yeah! (laughs) Uh, So a triumph and two successes for G and uh, three successes for Kiyama. So the the implication of the degradation... uh, Damn, I'm, I'm, I'm spitting bars tonight. The implication of the degradation is that they're not at full power. Um, you know, spreading themselves across two bodies is a subtractive process. You don't wind up with two people half as strong. You wind up with two people less than half as strong. Uh, so to to be able to maintain occupation in 30 different bodies plus a huge crystal, uh, Tenebris must be shockingly, um, just overwhelmingly powerful. And then it occurs to you, he was inhabiting uh, the Anathian crystal, which is um, force sensitive and also a, uh, can serve as a as an amplifier of sorts. He was um, he was amplifying his own strength in order to maintain all of those things by inhabiting that huge Anathian crystal, and still probably was not at full strength when you fought him. You know, you fought some you know spread across multiple bodies version of him. I mean, unless he was also somewhere else, you probably destroyed him. Um, but also the crazy bombing at the end was an upsetting thing to do and would have been, you know, very literally suicidal if he were not someplace else. Yeah. I don't I don't trust that someone who spent their entire lives finding a way to stave off death would just do that just to make a 
point. No, right? it's yeah, no, it's but it is worth it's worth noting that he needs a body. Like he needs some host. Right. Do the do the text say anything about the recombination process? In other words, um if one hole becomes like two people at 40%, if you withdraw from one, does it go back to full or does it go back to 80%? They don't. Um, the the mention of multiple hosts at the same time is more of a theoretical aside. The, the need later volumes, basically. Right. The, the weakening is noted because it's pointed out in a, in, actually in a different script, um, maybe Plagueis's script rather than Tenebris's, that the effort of holding two together would diminish both. Mm. There is a certain amount of energy in the bond itself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, an amount of overhead, if you will. Mm. So that is uh, at least some of G's activity for the next few days. Uh, what are other people doing? Uh, the senator is doing some translating, but that doesn't have to be all that he's doing. Eshka, uh, Mia, what are you guys into? Um, I'm going to be hanging out with my baby brother. Anakin? Yeah. All right. Uh, so Anakin is a 14-year-old boy. Yes. Um, so he's mostly interested in doing things that 14-year-old boys do. Um, I don't know what those are. Both is me and is Mia, because okay. I've never been a 14-year-old boy. Uh, um, well, they're, I mean, it's a lot of, like, staying up late and making fart and boner jokes that sounds great (laughs) that sounds ideal honestly um i think that she'll not spend all of the time with him but i think she'll sort of you know it's been a little while since she's seen him and she wants to at least you know not waste the opportunity to see her brother especially since i think she's had a lot of like psychological breakthroughs about her relationship with her family and herself in the past couple of um, months and, you know, chunk of time. So I think she's just going to be trying to get to know him a little more and, you know, probably being adequately disappointed that he is in fact a 14 year old boy. But like, I don't know, I think he's sort of burgeoning into personhood a little bit. And I think she's going to try and dig into that a little bit and get a better sense of him. Okay. Um, make me a charm roll, Mia. A charm roll, eh? So Mia, one success. It takes the better part of a day or so um, to kind of... So the, the thing that really strikes you about Anakin is that, you know, everybody has been very... You know, everybody that you've interacted with has been very heavy, you know. Mom's worried about interstellar war brewing and all of your friends are memoryless or sad or fighting a war with you. And Anakin is sort of blissfully unaware of all of that. Um, He's just, he's 14 and he has magic powers and he can throw rocks with his mind. And I love him. He's a sweet himbo. Yeah, well, I mean, he, but he's sort of callous. You find yourself over like the day or so kind of getting irritated because he's just... Not he's taking very, anything he, seriously. Yeah, exactly. To him, the stakes are super, super low. Um, you know, he's just like, oh, my sister's here. That's kind of fun. Like, hey, do you want to th- see me throw this rock with my mind really far? Um, and me you know, is like, uh, can we be a little more adult about things and... 
don't you want to like actually be training to fight Darth Elemen and that kind of thing? Right. And like he and his friends will spar with their training sabers and invariably uh, 15 minutes into sparring, they'll just resort to sack tapping each other. Nice. Because they're 14 year old boys. Because they're 14 year old boys. And that's what you do. And, you know, I mean, it might be a valid strategy on Velamin to an extent. Like, I, think presumably. It would, I think it would surprise him. Yeah, at the oh very least. Oh, my God. It, it, but, it, the, but it wouldn't work super well if you ever, say, ran into another Sith witch. No, probably not. Or, you know, somebody whose anatomy wasn't a as nice close sister. to a human. <laughs> oh, but we can't say all that. But there's so, I'm going to have to bleep so much out. But <laughs> Um... I think it, after a certain point, Mia's going to sort of look over it because she's going to go find Ronus and she's going to ask him, were you like that at that age too? Oh no, um, I was worse. And she's just going to look at him and be like, how didn't I notice that? I mean, you were younger than I was. I, you, you looked up to me. Um, maybe use that to your, your advantage. If you tried to, talking about, I don't know, cool adventures, um, I mean, I haven't, but I also don't know that he'd, and she sort of pauses and she's just going to look back over at Anakin and his friends and she's going to say, I guess I have fought more people than he has at this point. Like he hasn't actually fought people and she's going to say it loud enough so that it carries all the way over to Anakin. Okay. Um, Anakin and another, uh, another Twi'lek Padalon. Padawan, Jesus. Another Twi'lek Padawan are doing a thing they call jousting, where they both try and uh, push a stone towards each other. Um, And oftentimes, while people are jousting, uh, their friends will make fart noises to try and distract them. Oh my god, being a Jedi is so unglamorous, and I love it. Being a a 14-year-old boy is unglamorous. And I love it. I'm sure at one point in the past, Kiyama has just walked up and just like l- just come out of nowhere and just leveled one of them. Yeah, with I the mean, stone. Ki- Kiyama, this is a time honored tradition. Uh, yeah, you do, you do I remember walk by, this. It's just a <laughs> <laughs> just whack somebody with it. Yep. Uh, sure. We'll we'll say that that's your charm roll. Uh, Anakin looks over. He is distracted for a moment. Uh, he gets beamed in the side of the head with the rock, and uh, his friends laugh at him. And Mia's gonna shout at him. You should pay attention. If that were an enemy, you'd be dead. Uh, they all stop laughing and look at each other uncomfortably. And Mia's gonna look at Ronas with this big old grin on her face. She's gonna go, "Look what I just did! I made them somber up for a second. Yeah, you killed them. What are you trying to do? I don't really know. You just want him to be weird and sad." And I think she's going to get serious for a second and look at Ronis and go, I want him to take seriously what he has because I never got to take it seriously. You've always taken it seriously. Thank you. Um, you're always really preoccupied with, uh, with what you were and weren't. Yeah. And he's going to be a Jedi and he should take that seriously. I think Mia's going to look down, bite her lip, and then look back up at Ronus and just say, it is something to take seriously, isn't it? I mean, the way you take flying seriously? Those aren't the same things, though. They are, though. (laughs) No, they're not. 
They're they're our gifts. They're what we they're what we fight with. And I mean, take it from somebody who's currently t- taking it very seriously. You don't know how to until you're forced to. So unless you're going to go over there and attack him with a lightsaber, I, I don't know. Maybe try being cool. Oh my god! I know what he means. <laughs> I think Mia's going to take. She's going to look at Ronus, and then she's going to bend down and pick up a rock and then chuck it at Anakin <laughs> and shout, think fast! Uh, it hits him in the shoulder, and uh, his friends start laughing again. Good. Oh, man. What a weird family. I know. I love them so much. They're such disasters. The Organa Solos are a really weird bunch of kids. They really are. Uh, Eshka, what are you doing um, while Mia is doing whatever she's... Mia is mercilessly bullying her younger brother, and uh, <laughs> everybody else is doing nerd shit. Um, I have been thinking about this. Um, and my conclusion is that I'm not sure. <laughs> That's perfectly fine, uh, because I have uh, created a table... Uh, for Eshka to get in trouble with. Oh, so please, I love it. Beautiful. So, so, I'll be honest. My my initial thought was like, I, I think she really wants to keep trying to figure out how to get Palpy shit back. But like, I mean, we're we're hanging out here. Like, there's not a lot she can do. Right. Uh, so please roll me a die 100 to see what sort of trouble that Eshka is going to get into. 24. Okay. All right, so a twenty a twenty four on the gremlin table, as Chris <laughs> has named it, uh, and a die four, please. Uh, oh no, one. Oh no, what does that mean? Uh, so with a twenty four, you have uh, found yourself on uh, through various means. Um, you have st- begun studying the locks on the doors to the Jedi Temple. Um, What's fascinating about them is that they are not magnetic locks like most of the other locks that Eshka has run across in the galaxy, uh, which she's very, very adept at uh, disassembling. Um, They are instead purely mechanical locks. Uh, And it takes you about an hour, but you get sort of engrossed in their functioning. Before you know it, you've uh, constructed a working uh, lock picker. Uh, you've you've kind of improvised out of various screwdrivers and wrenches in your kit, uh, effective lockpicks, and from there it's uh, it's a lockpicking spree. You spend the better part of five hours wandering around the lower depths of the temple, uh, unlocking locked doors. Oh hell yeah! Do I find anything cool? Uh, that's what the uh, die four was for. Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, you have found uh, something analogous to um, a like the forbidden section, I guess would be the way to put it. The West uh, Wing? Yeah. Uh, well, that's no, that's a TV show. No, then in Beauty and the Beast, the uh, West Wing is forbidden. Gotcha. The, the West Wing is it, also... It is also a TV show. <laughs> it, it, the West Wing is also forbidden on this uh, on this podcast. Although, although, although at the mention of it, I'm probably going to have to play the uh, licensable for parody amount of WG Snuffy Walden. 
You gotta you gotta play as much WG Snuffy Walden <laughs> themes as you can. Um <laughs> Yes, so you have found the the West Wing, and uh within you find various I guess artifacts is the best way to describe it. There is um there there's like a series of holocrons uh that are marked in uh with like the the letters that you recognize at this point as uh Jedahi cartouches um but also in orabesh and they are different darths throughout the era whether they're information about them information by them you're unsure uh some of them have lightsabers and and one uh i guess exhibit uh marked darth vader uh, there is uh, also in a, uh, like a little bit of armor. It looks charred, almost as if it were destroyed in a fire. But uh, there's like a chest plate and gauntlets, boots, but uh, curiously, no helmet. I mean, I would know who Darth Vader was, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I believe that uh, Eshka was alive for... She was alive for a little bit of the end of the Empire, right? How far, how far post empire is this? She's only twenty. Yeah, she's not. Yeah, like I mean, I, I feel like it's recent enough history. Sure. I feel like Darth Vader is not like he wasn't a hidden member of the Empire. No, yeah. he was very, very visible. He was very I, I mean, public. We we'd we'd all recognize Nixon doubly so if Nixon wore a scary mm-hmm. mask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean he didn't? <laughs> that was mostly a riff on like how there's ass. all kinds of Nixon and Halloween masks, you know. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, get his ass. Interesting. Uh, why did they? Why did they? I mean, I I guess I could see why the Jedi might keep stuff like this, like you know, knowledge of the way things could go. I guess that makes sense. It seems a little weird, but I mean, I'm I'm not a Jedi. What do I know? I'm gonna spend a dark side point. Oh, oh no! no. <laughs> oh Esh- no! Eshka, make me a discipline test. Oh no! I know what this is. <laughs> Did y'all know that Eshka's a curious cat? Let's say, is this shiny? <laughs> shiny, shiny. <laughs> oh, oh, it's so shiny. You can't help yourself. You, um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, so with that much advantage, I'm going to say that, uh, failing this actually serves as a relief because you finally get, get into something. You've been sort of restlessly just sort of rifling (laughs) through everything in the, in the trash can of this temple. And you finally found something at the bottom that your little raccoon hands can run away with. (laughs) Uh, so you reach out and you are going to turn on the holocron <gasps> about Vader. Oh no! Okay, cool. Time to learn things. I like knowing. He killed the cat, and satisfaction brought back. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. Uh, so you are going to recover uh, two strain. <laughs> Curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction restored two strain. Hell yeah! <laughs> Man, I feel better than I have in week. So the holocron is um, made by um, a third party, you think. Um, it's edited together 
uh, hollow tape, essentially, and you can see Vader doing different stuff. And over time, it becomes evident that uh, this holocron is showcasing his different force powers. Um, so there's a extended segment on like how good of a pilot he was because of you know his supreme like force timing and uh, like vague sort of cognition or um, precognition. Uh, there's a <clears throat> segment on him choking people. There's a segment on him moving stuff. You know, a lot of it is cobbled together. A lot of it is um, just sort of text that scrolls in different portions, that which helps you piece it together. But it's better or worse, it's a fairly objective delineation of his capabilities, um, which is interesting. Um, it makes a note of his lack of or refusal to learn um, something that it calls Unleash um, and contrasts it with uh, his next door neighbor in this rogues gallery, um, somebody named Darth Sidious, uh, which I believe Eshka is already well aware is Palpatine. Yeah. Uh, her awareness of that fact is has been a looming mystery, but, you know, who's to say who's to say how exactly she knows, but she knows. Things get around that pod race circuit. Yeah, uh, the huts know lots of stuff. So if you're if you're working for slash stealing from them, keeping your mouth closed and your ears open, and you are just getting engrossed in a section that uh, has some descriptions of and footage of uh, Vader in lightsaber combat when you feel a hand on your shoulder. I'll turn around. Alrighty. Uh, but looking away from the gremlin table, I want to cut back to, um, I think, the senator, uh, since we're all doing kind of different things at different times. And this is the first time that people are like firmly anchored in time. Uh, we'll say that Eshka goes on her uh, lockpicking spree on uh, the afternoon of the second day. Uh, so at this point, Senator, you've you've translated all of the all of the tenebrous writing and uh, the nerds are doing nerd shit all around it. Uh, so you, you have uh, free moments. And is there, is there anything in particular that you are interested in doing while here? Um, I think that DC20 is mostly just going to try to be respectful. Um, like, not only is he not a member of this religion, he is literally unable to be with the whole, um, you know, being a droid not a force sensitive being thing. True. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> At least you have midichlorians, right? I suppose technically, but he's also a luminous being. I'm not. It's true. What that means, nobody is sure of yet. No, no idea. Um, okay, then what I'm going to say is uh I don't have like a senator table, so that's not quite as good. Um, but just sort of being respectful, you I uh, keep to the public areas and that I guess that allows me to do a little bit more description of the interior of the temple. Like you guys have already seen uh, the courtyard, you know, you've gone up the stairs uh, along, along the cliffside underneath the waterfall. You've been out in the courtyard where they do the sparring and things like that. Um, but the, the inside is uh, also, you know, resplendent in a lot of ways. There's the main, the main building, um, 
also can also like the temple on Felucia consists of a very large uh, sanctuary. I guess would be the the best way to de- describe it. Um, <clears throat> except this is even larger, a enormous, reminiscent of a cathedral kind of room with huge windows paneled along the sides in extremely narrow relative to their height. Uh, Holums, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Uh, giving the, giving the room on a, on a sunny afternoon, a very barred or slatted look as the sunlight falls across the floor in very distinct ranges. And in here, Again, like Felucia, there are sarcophagi or crypts, different uh, different writings on them. They are positioned all all, all around the walls. Um, there's different languages inscribed on them. Some of them uh, very old and using the Jadahi cartouches. Some of them in more basic Arabesh. Others in a huge variety of languages that you know, given time, you could identify, Senator, and. In addition, there are three, I guess, faces would be more like heads that are inscribed at the far end of the of the sanctuary from the entrance. Um, one positioned slightly higher than the other two. It looks vaguely male. Uh, one on the left also looks kind of male, and the other on the right with a more feminine aspect. None of them have eyes or noses, um, but two of them, the bottom two, uh, have suggestions of mouths that have been heavily eroded. It's not clear if the faces never had features or if the features have been eroded down into almost nothingness by time. And it is uh, in here while you are I guess I imagine you kind of walking around, being respectful, just sort of looking at things. Uh, where your friend, uh, the ex- the fellow expert hugger, uh, the Corrin woman named Croon, uh, calls out to you again. She has uh, she has found you here. I will uh, head over to greet her. All right. Uh, she looks a little bit better put together than last time. Um, her robes are less stained and damaged you know now that she has the ability to wash and change her clothes presumably um her lightsaber is actually much more prominently displayed on her hip now that she is back on the temple and in addition uh in uh whereas last time she was kind of bareheaded uh exposing like the the fins of her ears and so on she is wearing uh, not a hat, uh, but almost like a head wrap. Looks like it is decorated with a a, a pattern reminiscent of seaweed. Give me a uh, perception test as she gets a little closer, Senator. Oh, right. Uh, two failures. You don't notice anything. And uh, she greets you. She says, uh, my friend, VC20, I'm so glad that you got off the planet safely. I'm happy to see that you are safe as well, Kroon. What are you and your friends doing here? She's very, um, very direct. Boy, howdy, that is a can of worms. <laughs> uh, after saying that, not not VC20 suddenly um, changing his tone very star- sharply. Um, Bitch, you don't even know the half of it. Yeah. Um, 
man, where do I begin with that? Especially since I'm not sure the senator actually understands what happened really with the force powers. Um, yeah, he probably doesn't feel the immense sort of psychic weight that uh, even non-force sensitive people do. Just like, oh, there's a big rock. Weird shadow in there. Um, but he did just spend a lot of time translating, you know, a horrible grimoire. Yeah. Um, so I think he'll give like a brief summary of what happened. She nods. Uh, the, the tentacles on her face uh, kind of twitch and move around, um, which you're developing protocol module as you've met more Quarren since kind of tells you that these are concerned and, uh, and, and curious expressions on her face. She's listening attentively is what those tentacle movements mean. And as you finish, she, um, it takes your arm, not like forcefully, but guidingly and, uh, walks up to the front of the sanctuary with you. Um, and she says, Will you meditate with me, Senator? I'll try. Um, so she sits uh, her, her back uh, to the faces, um, looking down the length of the sanctuary as she sits cross-legged on the ground. And she says, the strength of the light side is to feel at harmony with the force moving through you. And the strength of the dark side is to change the ways of those movements. I don't think many Jedi like to talk about the strengths of both approaches, but I think that for real harmony, you need to do a bit of both. I think that that applies to you also, my friend. Are you comfortable in harmony with this, or do you feel the need to change the movement of things. I believe that harmony is possible, but sometimes it must be created. Well, there's your answer. And you didn't think meditation would do anything for you. And uh, she spreads her arms wide, which is, uh, you realize that she is trying to make a very bad joke. Why well, the player realize this, or does VC20 realize this? Uh, VC20 realizes this. This is protocol module is adapting to Corin. Uh, Corn ways and corn body language. I think he'll nod because I don't know if the senator really laughs. That's a good point. Um, and it might be creepy if he tried. <laughs> then let's cut over to nerds doing nerd shit. Um, so at this point, G, uh, you've been you've sought out uh, you've sought out Bon, and you have both Kiyama and Ronis with you, um, and you can. If you want, try to make some lore rolls to uh, maybe piece together more information uh, from these texts. Because there's, I mean, VC20 has, I'm not going to say that he was just sort of an automatic pilot, um, but he writes and creates very quickly. And it's easier to do that without storing all of the information in working memory. So, you know, what he's learned isn't necessarily the the sum total of everything that there is to learn, especially if there's, you know, creepy dark side ciphers and, and so on in the text. Um, so how I'm going to rule it is who do you want to be, to be the, the main lore keeper, I guess we'll say the main person on this test. Would you like that to be Yuji or do you want that detail to go to Bon or even Ronas? 
Uh, how much do I trust Bomb? Um, you spent a fair amount of time with him when you first came to the temple in between uh, episode 7 and episode 8. He's probably the person that you know best here other than Kiyama. He's, uh, he's very smart, um, but he's, he's like almost an exaggerated version of Xi, uh, where his, uh, his abilities are very, very far f- removed from you know the sort of swashbuckling laser sword jedi image that a lot of people have uh he's a he's he's very contemplative he's very sage-like um his main downfall is that he's very uh he has a hard time communicating with people he's kind of cryptic in that way um well then i'm I'm gonna do it myself okay um i'm gonna use light side point and hopefully add myself a green okay and laurel um so the way i'm gonna do it is that Everybody around you is going to make a lore roll at a lower difficulty to see if they can assist you. And yep. for for each uh, success that they get, we'll add in some blue dice. Ooh. Um, so, uh, Kiyama, could you make me a lore roll, please? Alrighty. Uh, Kiyama is no help. Uh, Kiyama, you're unfortunately totally out of your depth trying to read through this. Yeah, that that's more like it. That's what she's, <laughs> sort, of, she's sort of like, I'm here for moral support, guys. This is... <laughs> You guys are all you need doing, anything. You're, you're all doing great. great. You're all so Tell me handsome. what you find. Yeah, I even give her a slow kiss on the cheek and then just like, <laughs> I don't know. Let me know what you guys find. <laughs> uh, Ronus is also not super helpful, but he is a lot more stressed out about it. Um, he, he has wound himself very tight. It seems like he kind of feels a need to impress since they're back on the uh, back on the temple and he's not as comfortable. Uh, yeah, with uh, knowing that this isn't his strength the way that Kiyama is. Uh, and making a test for Bon, uh, who's done reasonably well. He, you know, Bon, on the other hand, is very relaxed, and uh, he is going to add a blue die to your test. Um, so, G, uh, please make me a lore roll. Uh, so I'm going to click the plus green die. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm using a dark side point. Um, oh, wow. That is five successes despite two despairs. Yeah. Wow. Um, two despair dice in there. Um, this was a... It is worth uh, noting... Oh, did you only upgrade the difficulty? Is that how that works? Yes. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Uh, five successes and three advantage. All right. So you're going to recover uh, two strain. Very impressive. Uh, you, you've, you've made a real breakthrough here. Um, so, you know, the, you've, you've realized that this, uh, mind control here is really like some sort of extended body snatching in the name of immortality. Um, and for what it's worth, the, the text goes on at length. Uh, you know, it's not even considered until well into the 11th volume that it could be done to a living person. Um, it's much more a question of, you know, that all of their study at first is focused on um, is is focused on creating a clone and uh, you know using some kind of copy of themselves, some copy body of themselves. Um, and you you know coming to this uh, sort of conclusion, uh, you realize that that's exactly what uh, was described on Exegol. Um, a lot of clones of Darth Sidious, a a student of Plagueis, 
So this notion has absolutely been passed down in Sith tradition. This has become part of, you know, what at least the next two generations of dark side users were attempting and trying to do. At least that's what Sidious's plans or what you made of them would suggest that he was trying to pass his consciousness off into a clone body before he died. Hmm. Glad we routed that. That would have been a terrible movie. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Somehow Palpatine came back. Yeah. Still one of the greatest lines. So, uh, so you know, luckily the, uh, the, the galaxy was spared that. Um, luckily, uh, something like that never, ever came to pass. <laughs> um, but more than that, um, you, you, you've paid it, you know, you've also got his journal in addition to his academic notes and there's kind of an extensive, um, th there's extensive asides about, um, Plagueis and, um, as well, you know, like the different, uh, researches that they're undertaking and the things that they're doing. These are two Sith who are very much comfortable with and committed to um, being outside the realm of galactic policy for a while. Uh, neither of them have really any designs on power. Um, neither of them are really pushing for it. You know, they're both, um, they're both Bith. So they're, uh, <clears throat> They're they're kind of marginalized from humanity uh, in 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 the abstract, and from politics as a whole. And there's a section where you know it. He starts describing Plagueis's different experiments and the different trips that his apprentice is going on. And it's almost like a paranoid detailing, you know, because every Sith master expects to be betrayed at some point. He's very much keeping tabs on him. Um, but some of the places uh, pop out at you um, as, you know, locations of potential interest because they're, you know, force resident places. Um, they're places you've heard of. And um, because, you know, Plagueis went on at some point to make an apprentice of Sidious, also known as Palpatine. And so these locations that he's talking about in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the naming, in the description, you strangely see the bones of the development of the, you know, the empire that would consume the galaxy, the, you know, the fall of democracy and the, the the failure of leadership that would lead to fascism and in you know the 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 paranoid travelogue of this sith master dead for potentially hundreds of years and kept alive in a crystal for who knows how much of it you see you know the events being put into motion that would eventually lead to the demise of your own tradition at the hand of the person four generations of teaching down from the the person who wrote this journal it's a very it's an eerie feeling like a like seeing a ghost and seeing the future at the same time yeah i think if this is just 
it's sort of the like uh half in marvel but half horrified vibe mm-hmm. it is an impressive feat of ultimate terror right so the three locations that um excuse me there are four locations actually in all that uh, stand out to you yep um so the first is pretty well known and pretty well documented um it's anoth um at some point uh plagueis went there the second location um which is just because you know a little bit about your galactic history is naboo um it's possible that on one of these trips is when uh, Plagueis first met the person who would become uh, Darth Sidious, who uh, it is known was originally from Naboo. Yep. Um, second is known because you know it has uh, importance to a party member. It is Agamar. Okay. And the fourth and final one... <clears throat> Uh, which catches your eye just because it's uh, in a very remote planet, also in the direction of Anoth, but also very close to a galactic event of enormous importance, uh, is a system called Treywith. Uh, that's T-R-E-H-W-Y-T-H, Treywith, um, which is the closest system to the Endor system famous for being the system in which the Empire, uh, at least in its uh, most powerful form, met its end. Got it. Hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> and this is essentially the first time I've seen any reference to Treywith being, like, a place that mattered? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of the other entries along these lines are like, Plagueis went to Coruscant again. Claims he's getting supplies, but I'm not sure. Um, do I do I know where? What direction is Trey within? <clears throat> uh, it is southwest of where you are. Uh, Sinect Ray, the system you're currently in, the home of the Jedi Temple, is very central in the galaxy. Southwest, you say? Mm-hmm. Uh, the coordinates are I-16. If you're looking on the map, which I can position you on right now um is there anything is there any clue as to like where on tray uh they were going or no mm. just that they were going to tray um he does not have that information a lot of uh a lot of this is him being basically like a horrible boyfriend and uh reading through <clears throat> excuse me um the the logs of uh Plagueis's hyperspace jumps got it um time wise when was this that is more difficult to pin down um i will say with five successes you get the impression that this was about 150 years ago oh okay mm-hmm <laughs> Uh, at least for the Treywith trip. Some of the other ones um, are much more recent. Um, Agamar would have been less than 100 years ago. Um, Naboo certainly would have been 100 years ago. Maybe even uh, maybe even as recently as 50 or 60. Got it. Okay. I would say that I, G's probably fixing on this, this Treywith bit. And okay. 
communicating all this to everyone else. Um, I am curious if, uh, so in my notes, I know about a group of force users who are concentrated in the southwest corner of the galaxy, mm-hmm. but are largely transient. And I'm curious if I know of any that would be on trade with. If you're talking... Um, talking of the Cult of the Skull. Yes. So it's very possible that I... I mean, that probably pings you, your memories, because Treywith is definitely a place that they pass through. Yeah. Um, so it's entirely conceivable that um, a meeting could have taken place between Plagueis and the Cult of the Skull, yes. Yeah. So I think I'm going to tell people that. I at least am, am interested in seeing if we can uncover any of the history there. And I hopefully have some contacts, though... Um, to a certain extent, they have uh, put Darth Vader on a little bit of a pedestal. So if there were any possibility, we could get like a, a relic of his, something, something like a, a trinket or like a bit of the costume that would actually go a really long way in terms of us favorably negotiating. That's never going to happen. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> uh, so... Eshka, you have just turned around. I have. I uh, see. You see Luke Skywalker. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I feel like th- this is just sort of off the cuff, but I feel like Eshka's like not exactly scared of Luke, but like a little bit scared of Luke. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so so Eshka's very very small, and um, the group as a whole is rather large. Um, you know, Kiyama is. 510 and the fourth tallest person in the party because uh Ronus is 62 and both G and VC20 are in excess of 64. Um so it's a little bit refreshing to meet a uh, a, a a human who is like average male height, you know? Uh Luke is not toweringly tall the way that some of your companions are. Um but Looking at him now in this moment, um, he could be 10 stories high. Uh, he is uh, he is maybe the most fearful sight that you have ever seen, Rancor included. Oh, no. <laughs> and all he is doing is wearing a mildly irritated expression. <laughs> I mean, that sounds about right. <laughs> and he says, what are you doing? Exploring. Tell me what you're doing. Exploring. Being nosy. I can see why there's so many Bothan spies. Uh, this is a little bit of a microaggression, Ashka. I will give him a dirty look. What do you... How old are you? Like, 12? What do you care about Darth Vader? It's, look, there's not a lot for me personally to do around here. Um, not, not meant disrespectfully. Ashka has learned enough at this point to occasionally, like... Let people know that she's not trying to be an ass. (laughs) Not always, but sometimes. You know, respectfully, for me, personally, there's not a whole lot to do around here. And, you know, a gal gets restless and looks for things to do and see and learn. And this happened to be here, and it was very shiny. And I feel more educated now. And knowledge is power. I don't think you need any more. You picked all my locks. 
that too. That was fun. Not necessarily. So it, hmm, her fur does a little like ruffle thing. I wasn't picking the locks because I was trying to find anything in particular. I was picking the locks because the lock was interesting and I wanted to see what I could do with it. And then once I realized I could pick it and I could get into pretty much any of your locks, well, then it was just fun to open them all. And then I happened to find this and I thought, oh, what's this? And this is what it happened to be. Okay. He has no idea what he has no idea what to make of you, Ashka. He is completely <laughs> he is completely baffled and is just being, you know, a very serene Jedi master about it. You have you have utterly confused this man. So why do the Jedi keep all of this stuff about Sith Lords anyway? Is it like a cautionary tale? Well, that one's my dad. Do I know that? Um has that become public knowledge? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I don't think that's well known at all. Then my eyes just get as big as saucers. (laughs) Darth Vader was your dad? Yeah, it's a bad story. I didn't think Sith had babies. Granted, I don't know that much about Siths, but it just sort of seemed like they didn't do things like have babies or pets or hobbies. Well, he had two kids. uh, Oh, that's right. You have a sister. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So well, that means that means Darth Vader was the Chancellor's dad too. Eshka just kind of like <laughs> her, her eyes can't get any bigger. You know the gif of the guy who like slightly shakes his head as his eyes widen, and the camera zooms in on him. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's Eshka when that clicks. And it turns out it's hereditary. So I'm a Sith Lord now, and I'm going to eat you. She narrows her eyes at that. She, she's been around the block. She knows some bullshit when she hears it. Also, he's not being that convincing, I feel like. No. If you want to be educated, sometimes you have to learn unpleasant things. I think you know that. I do know that. So, despite what my nephew might convey, we're fairly serious about, uh, about our Jedi going out and being well-educated cognizant and it's also something that the old temple did when i moved everything from here to coruscant there was already 90 percent of this probably they had kept tabs and records on sith for centuries as best they could anyway most of the time they didn't find them and figure out who they were until they'd been killed by their apprentice or they found a shift in the force things like that And to be honest, I, I mean, I think they were right. Yeah. He looks troubled. You know, he's been trailing off a lot. Um, at first he was playing very much like the angry wizard staring down at you, fool of a took style. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the conversation has gone on, he's become increasingly not present with you, I guess would be the way to describe it. Like lost in his own thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And as he kind of trails off, he snaps back and he um, he says, well, uh, if you're here, you might as well. I mean, he gestures kind of broadly and he says, let's say that there were an evil Sith Lord out there that I had been detecting for decades, let's say, hypothetically. And I knew it wasn't these two. And he points at the vader and sidious displays and he says and i know about that one 
And he points at a display on Velamin, actually, which is weird because you've seen Velamin in the flesh. I've bitten him, in fact. Yeah, you've, you've, yeah. <laughs> Do you tell Luke that you bit Velamin? I think so. I think when he, I think when he gestures to Velamin, I like genuinely shudder. Uh, but then, you know, collect my cool and say, oh, I bit him once. Wow. Um, don't know what to say to that at all. I mean, I almost died, but you know. Almost is better than a lot of people do. I gotta commend you on that. So I've been looking, and I'm thinking, process of elimination, that the person I've been looking for all this time has been Plagueis. Does that make sense to you? You and your friends found Tenebris, and it doesn't seem like he knew about Velamin at all. Everyone else is accounted for. So either it's someone deeper in history who somehow just eluded the record of all these Sith for all this time, or it's Plagueis, the person who trained the Emperor. I guess so. And Eshka, you kind of realize that this is a... How do I describe it? It's a very smart person. It's very good at what they do. uh, Going to somebody who's an absolute novice just to get new eyes on it. Mm. He's almost like, hey, you don't know anything. I know everything and I can't figure it out. Maybe you knowing nothing will help me. Gotcha. Gotcha. And also, it seems like he is kind of trapped in a weird reverie. You uh, give me give me a perception, actually, or uh, give me a vigilance, Ashka, as you're spending time with this this Jedi master. Okay. wow. Um, so triumph and three successes. Um, so you, you 100% get the impression he is very wrapped up in this. Um, he, he has spent a lot of time down here, and he is walking down the same chain of logic that he's gone down hundreds of times, trying to almost use you as a pattern interrupt. Because mm-hmm. he, he, you know, obviously these questions are not hypothetical. Obviously he's sensed some kind of growing darkness for who knows how long. And now that he is, you know, faced with the reality of these things, he's, he doesn't like what he's seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, And since you got a triumph, I guess I will give you a little bit more insight. Um, He's scared. And if you had to take a guess, um, you know that one time he fought the emperor and nobody knows what happens there, but he walked away and he had his father's body with him and the emperor wasn't there anymore. So it seems like maybe thinking about Sidious and thinking about fighting the person who trained him um, scares him a little bit, or at least is very brings up very unpleasant memories. So Tenebris is the only one that no one really knows what happened to? Plagueis is the only one that no one really knows what happened. Oh, sorry, to. sorry, Plagueis. Yeah, yeah, I meant Plagueis. So Plagueis is the only one that nobody really knows what happened to. Right. Everybody else's death is pretty well documented. Um, Tenebris, we thought was well documented actually, but it's not him. But uh, Plagueis is actually the only one for a few hundred years where the uh, Jedi never saw the body. They um, they thought with. Uh, the death of Tenebris's master, actually, that the line of Sith was ended. I had to kind of reconstruct Tenebris's death myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and Plagueis, I had almost nothing on for a long time. I'm going to 
Actually, your friend's documents will be a, a very vital addition to my horrible museum here. <laughs> uh, so, Brian. Yes, Rebecca. So, I'm just, you know, just, just, just double-checking. Palpyship is just a program that looks like Palpatine, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. 100% correct. Um, I mean, as far as you're on either that or he's like the best liar ever. You yeah, brought him around, okay. you brought him around in a floppy disk. He, <laughs> ta- he doesn't ever, you know, call himself that. Um, he very much seems like a program. He's not even a ship, as he's reminded you several times. He's That's the true. program. <laughs> okay. Yeah. From a narrative standpoint, uh, I'm, and I'm very proud of this. <laughs> Who and what Palpy ship is is so much more interesting than just the Emperor on a floppy disk. And I, I mean, I thought so, but I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, try to help Luke out. See if I can yeah, think. Just of, trying to, just trying to double check. Hey, we got something else. We, but... we got this. We got this program that used to look like the Emperor. Sometimes we found it on the <laughs> on the worst place in the in the universe. Okay, bye. Do you think maybe that's who you're looking for? That makes total sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I mean, Kiama has told Luke about Exegol and the bodies they found there yeah. and everything. So he's he's apprised of that. Um, at this, you know, as you, you so you guys stand in silence for a little bit, like contemplating this as he poses this weird riddle to you that he's clearly uh, mulled over quite a bit. And he finally he gestures with one hand. He says, "All right, let's let's get out of here. I need to ta- I need to talk to your friends before uh, before it's time for everybody to be on their way again." Okay. Well, and, um, if I, uh, if I, I'll kind of finger guns at him. If I <laughs> think of anything helpful, I will let you know. Or yeah. more likely, if I hear anything helpful, I will let you know. Or I'll let Kiyama know and she'll let you know. That's also more likely. Or Mia, one of Thank them. It, 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 like, it, as you keep like <laughs> kind of sputtering out more words, he like kind of waves his hands. He's like, uh, Thank you, Eshka. Thank you. Thank you, Eshka. Okay. Uh, and not uh, not roughly, but gently, like steers you towards the exit of his, as he puts it, horrible museum. <laughs> as uh, nerd shit uh, is winding down on the surface, and as VC twenty's uh, meditation concludes, um, I will say that Mia, you have briefly um, managed to spend some actual quality time with Anakin after um, it seems like the the key to uh, getting uh, teenage boys to like actually express feelings uh, is hitting them hard enough yeah and yeah. and that is the uh, the case with Anakin after you have uh, just you know out and out hit him in hit him with a rock um, he is more willing to talk to you like a person than like a, uh, I get, I guess like someone to keep at arm's length is the way to describe it. Good. That's sort of what I wanted. Are you still kind of pushing the, you got to take everything seriously and take responsibility kind of, kind of angle on him. Oh, I think that I, I think that I come out of it getting the sense that he is taking it seriously underneath all of the bullshit which is what I wanted. Like I wanted some sign that he was like, not just fucking around with it, but he's allowed to fuck around with it as long as he's not just fucking around with it, you know, as I think her line of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
seeing that he is a real person kind of sort of insofar as teenage boys are real people um vaguely yeah beneath all of that i think she sort of just you know starts checking in on how he's doing um mostly what what he says he's he's like basically the most revealing thing he says he's like i don't want to think about taking it seriously is really hard because uncle luke takes it seriously and he's way better than i'll ever be and uh ronus is ronus and i don't know like it's just better to have fun and not worry about like whether i'm as good as they are and i think she looks at him after he says that and she says man you're handling it way better than i did what does that mean what do you have to worry about you're not a Je- you're not even a jedi like you don't have to worry about comparing to them that didn't mean that i didn't do it though oh well that's dumb you should stop doing that i'm working on that in fact i've mostly mostly succeeded at doing that and she looks around and gives us a bit of a smile um okay that's good like he he you can see that he is genuinely like he is feeling a positive emotion for you and he has empathy he just has no language to express it he has no language because he's a dumb baby yeah uh and after a pause that to you is comfortable but to him is obviously very awkward he jumps up and he says okay you want to shoot at me while i deflect it with my lightsaber and she goes sure i'll shoot at you Okay. Just promise, promise me you'll actually deflect it because I don't know how I'll explain it to mom if you don't. It's fine. I'm I'm really good at this. This is the this is the part I'm really good at. Um, and so you proceed to do some, some sibling sib- shooting at your younger s- brother. Some sibling bonding by shooting at your younger brother. Which honestly uh, probably is a very cathartic exercise on a subconscious level. Yeah, like no, it, it feels great. Um, and to his credit, he is really good at it. Yeah. Um. He's, he's, he's very good with his lightsaber. And I actually think during this entire process, Mia's going to start, like, actually trying to up her own technique. Like, he's so good at it that she's like, okay, but, like, what if I'm sneakier? Or, like, what if I do this? What if I do that? And she starts being able to, like, visualize as she's... So she's kind of engaging in the sparring a little bit, too. It's not just a game. Sure. Yeah, it turns into a bit of a spar. I like that. And it's yeah. a nice... Uh, it's a nice mechanical justification if you want to raise your raise your pistols or your small guns, as it were. I like that. And uh, you 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 know after you know fifteen twenty minutes of this, you're, you guys are feeling close. There's a there's a level of comfort that wasn't there before. <clears throat> and uh, this is when uh, you see your uh, uncle Luke heading back over to the yard uh, to the place where the the nerds that you are with uh, have posted up and are and are looking over a bunch of boring ass old books uh interestingly in in tow of uncle luke um literally literally with uh his hand on her shoulder is eshka unless you've been listening to this episode under which circumstances it's very expected (laughs) did you say unexpected the first time i did yeah you cut out a little bit yeah sorry yeah uh unexpected to everybody except for uh the viewer at home uh the all the PCs have been uh, reunited, and a Jedi Master Luke is there with them, and he has brought Eshka along to you know whatever the heck that means is whatever the heck that means. Um, how do you guys approach this? Because you have uh, some interesting locations to be brought up. You have learned quite a bit in different quadrants. Um, what is to be said and decided upon? Time for 
family dinner and catch each other up. <laughs> uh, there is, uh, there's no milk. Uh, there's, there's no green milk here. Just uh, your, your bog standard uh, blue milk. So I think while we're catching, you know, everybody up on what we found with going through more of the um, translations, uh, Kiyama will just, I, I just have this, she has this question that I guess, what, what are we, what are you looking for, G? Because I don't quite understand what these locations might tell us. Like, what, I feel like we're missing something that there's an, that we have locations and different things, but what are we going after? So, overall, I agree. I think we're missing something. I think that right now, there is the hope that we can defeat Darth Plagueis. It is my belief that Plagueis is better at whatever this force power truly is than his master Tenebris. It is also my belief that Tenebris seemed to be able to control a veritable army of people while inhabiting an Anathian crystal that seemed to be very powerful with the Force. So that did not seem to prevent its possession. So where I'm at is it feels like the thing we need is knowledge. To the best of my knowledge, all of us have poured over every book we've taken from the mines. And we kind of don't have more. I don't know where we we go unless there's information that someone has that we don't know about. But without that, I it's my belief that if we want to work towards bringing down Darth Plagueis, the only real option we have is getting more information and getting more clues. We can kind of piece together why Plagueis might have been in Naboo. We can piece together why Plagueis might have been in Anoth. I don't know that we know a reason that he would be in Agamar. That's and where he is now. That's the so imperial. That's the imperial stronghold. Gotcha. Um, on, and on Exegold, there was Vellum and said, basically, if you want to come challenge us, come find us on Angamar. Uh, or if you want more knowledge. What did he say exactly? It was, um, it was something like, if you want... It was a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of a... a- it was a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of a suggestion of if you want to join us or try and prove yourself worthy or, you know, come find us on Angamar. Yeah, because, you know, his, um, you know, what you've put together since then is like, he expected a Jedi to find it. Yeah. So. Which is, I still think back to all of Kiyama talking to him about Angamar in their first meeting. So that one's fun. Yeah. Um. But he expected some Jedi to find it, so it was very much a, hey, come come catch these hands kind of thing. Yeah, but that's probably, if we want to find him now, which I don't know if I necessarily think we're ready for, the road leads to Angamar. Exactly. So then we can either work towards advancing the Republic's position, and hope to basically gain enough footholds that we feel like we can attack him on a larger political scale, or we can try and get more information. And the only place I know of with more information that isn't 
super, super immediately dangerous is Trebeth. And even that is honestly kind of a long shot. It is a place that he went a hundred years ago. Um, but there are some people there that are into the... Uh, let, let's just say they're more Sith than Jedi. And they tend to put that kind of person on a pedestal. Um, so it's possible that they might know something. That's the only lead from my perspective. If anyone has a better one, I'm down. But that's all I can think of. The other um, maybe relevant piece of information um, that uh, Luke actually brings up and kind of an interested, kind of an interested point when you guys are discussing these things. Um, your writings listed Darth Plagueis as a Bith, same as Tenebris. Um, all the records suggest that he was a Mun, M-U-N-N, a, uh, a core world's race that's, uh, very adept at mathematics. Is it possible that, uh, even that record is from him leaping around bodies? Is that an early example of his work? I have a question uh, for uh, Brian. Um, mm -hmm. During the six months, I know that with Kiyama and her memory, she got most of her history back, but there was still that six-month gap, which yeah. really hasn't had any return. And at the time, basically, they were like, oh, it was just trauma from the crash. It should come back. Was mm -hmm. there any time during that that would have had any sort of, she would have done any, or have there been any attempts for, like, force healing for those memories? No, there hasn't been, actually. Um, you could talk to Bon about it while you were here. Okay. Now that, you know, you remember who he is and everything. You could also take the time to, like, visit your childhood bedroom and do kinds of nostalgic things on the temple if you'd like. Oh, yeah, she's definitely going to go back to her room and do, you know, that. But I, with this conversation and the research that they've done and these sorts of questions, mm -hmm. she's going to kind of just look to Bon and just be like, I need a favor. Speak. We've been, I, and she'll explain, you know, he knows the situation with her memory and how she doesn't mm -hmm. remember the six months. And she is just ignoring everybody else in the room and is and says, I want you to try and heal my mind to see if it's something that I can remember, because I am very, very worried what might have happened in those six months. Uh, he doesn't respond, um, but he does. He, he just nods and he reaches out his hand. He's a little bit shorter than Kiyama. Um, so he reaches up somewhat and he grips your forehead, uh, like with his thumb and pinky on each temple and you can feel some kind of power flowing into you. And we are going to see how exactly that is going to manifest. Is there anything she can do to help in this situation? Um, is hmm. Bono like take a stem to enhance his intellect kind of person uh he might be yeah uh actually you know what you've hung out with him before he he will if the situation is dire enough and by dire enough i mean like he really wants to stay up through the night studying with you okay 
Uh, so you can make him a stim if you want to. Yeah, I would love to. Um, so can you give me an uh, a average, so two purple check? It's set up for you. All right. Uh, his intellect, I'm assuming that's what he uses for this this bit, is mm-hmm. now increased by one. Okay, nice. Yeah, okay. All right, so let's roll some force dice for Bon. Oh, yeah. He's definitely going to be able to heal you. And then let's make a medicine test. So his intellect is just out and out increased by one. Yep. Yeah, he basically gets another green green die. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Um, then, all right. Okay. So what I will say then with four successes, um, you feel, I mean, you feel great, Gamma. This is probably the best you felt physically in a couple of months, like, muscles kind of relax and like your you know your bruises are all fixed up and everything um but mentally uh you are a wreck there is like a terrible kind of uh fear and anger and like a deep deep sadness uh in you and you get i'm not gonna say like uh not like an adrenaline spike but almost like the sensation of uh swinging your arms um no like images really or sounds but uh almost like a sense or balance memory it kind of creeps into you accompanied by that you know that really intense uh emotional payload am i like after that's like aware of where i am still or is it just uh, it takes you a couple moments. Um, you're you're kind of lost in it, um, and it is more disorienting uh, when you return uh, because Bon is hugging you, which is very weird. He is maybe the least demonstrative person that you've ever met. I am stiff like a board with my arm out, and I am unsure of how to deal with this at this moment in time. And I look very distressed. Uh, seeing that you're moving around once again, he steps back and he's obviously acutely aware of your um, your body language and what you're experiencing to some extent, even if he doesn't understand why. And he says, sorry. And he looks around nervously. Uh, I'm going to have, I'm going to say that Ronus comes over and like puts a, puts an arm around you, kind of steers you away. Um, you know, very evident to him also that there is something uh, the matter with you. Um, and so with Kyama being, you know, extracted by Ronus, that leaves uh, Xi, the Senator, Mia, and Eshka around. And Luke just sort of watching, not calmly exactly but uh carefully like a like a parent watching kids on the trampoline is that same kind of watchfulness do you guys have um how do i want to put this are you going to follow kiyama are you going to let her and ronis go um or is there some other course of action that you're going to take i think g at least is pretty comfortable like it seems like we're in a dealing with traumatic all sorts of stuff moments right now and that yep. feels like a best one-on-one with someone you really trust situation not For sure 
alien who only knows how to fix things with drugs situation. Right. Yeah, so, I think it seems like you're upset. Do you want to do cocaine about it? Yeah, <laughs> like it's a it is a coping method, but I think she is aware that it's not the best if you have other options. Uh, I think Eshka Eshka is definitely, you know, concerned for Kiyama and wants Kiyama to be okay, but a combination of feels awkward enough and knows she'll just be awkward enough awkward about it enough that she's like, I'm I'm just gonna stay put. She's with Ronus. Ronus will take care. Yeah. Okay. Uh then I will say that, you know, it, you guys discussed this for a little while longer. No, you know, concrete decision can be made without Kiyama there to finalize it. So eventually uh, you know, you drift apart or start talking about smaller things. Uh, the last thing I do want to uh, say before we wrap up for the night uh, is that when, as as the night draws to a close and uh, your organics start to go to bed, VC20, uh, you are approached once more by Kroon. Um, she has a small, like, burlap bag in her hands, and she says... I sense that you're going to be leaving us soon, and I wanted to give you something before you left. Thank you. So I will um, open the bag. Okay. Um, so within, sorry. Uh, so within, uh, as you take the bag, she uh, bows. Some seems kind of ceremonial. Within there is a small sphere of something crystalline. It's smaller than a golf ball, but larger than a marble. And it's very, very clear, almost perfectly so, but with slight uh, eddies and whorls of cloudiness within it. And she says, there's an oyster on my planet, a mollusk, I guess you'd say, that produces those. I think on, uh, on other worlds, they call them pearls. Uh, on to us, they're, they're gift seeds. They, they're given at the, they're given at some point in an important friendship to mark the occasion. Beautiful gift seed. Thank you. You have given me, uh, much to consider mechanical man. You, before I met you, I spent much of my time ignoring, uh, individuals like you, I'm sorry to say, and to be given a new perspective is a rare gift. So thank you. They're also, well, uh, they're, they're useful to an extent. I have one in my lightsaber, but I don't know if it will ever prove useful to you. So I'm glad that you think it is beautiful. Um, I think he's going to look at the pearl for a moment mm -hmm. um, and then decide that this is the person he should ask again. Um, Do you know what it means to be a luminous being? Yes. Um, it's an old saying. It, um, it indicates a, she looks at a little bit of a loss for her words and she says, um, I suppose a soulfulness, you might say, um, a connectedness, a, um, it means one who's especially connected to the living force, the, the force that moves through us all. Why do you ask? I've been told that I am one. Oh. And she looks at you again. She says, "Oh, interesting. Perhaps the perhaps the gift seed will be useful to you all. After all, mechanical man. Perhaps you can make a lightsaber out of it." And she she she's it seems to only be half joking. She's 
kind of appraising you and she says, who, um, who told you that you are a luminous being? I'm trying to find a, um, more eloquent way of saying a ghost in a cave. <laughs> I am not sure, but it appeared to me in the form of an old seer friend. I see. I think that in a circumstance like this, you should keep trying to meditate for one thing and think about what it could mean to you. There's something I think that sets you apart from both persons like yourself and persons like me. It might be it might be instructive, if nothing else, to think on what that might be. And the turbo nod. And she nods. And uh, sort of the um the the hallmark of VC twenty and Kroon's relationship, which is pleasant silence, uh, aka the worst thing to try and render in a podcast, uh, once again kicks in uh, before she, uh, you know, smiles with her tentacles and bows once more, and uh, she's gonna leave you alone with your, you know, large translucent pearl called a gift seed, and uh, I think that that's a good place to end for the night. I love it. A luminous being is he. A luminous being is he. Yes. Uh, you are having a very, um, you are having a, a very The Sims day, I was going to say. <laughs> oh, that too. Like you're just arbitrarily locked out of your house, your oven catches on fire. Yeah. Okay, not just The Sims, but The Sims with like kind of an asshole playing you. Yeah, don't, mm-hmm. don't get into any pools, dude. Yeah, the ladder's just going to go away. If I try to go into a closet, someone will build a wall behind me. <laughs> Can you do that? That's me. You absolutely can. Just build yeah. walls around Sims. You can do a variety of war crimes.